As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. Times get tough, or even if they don't, coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas. Today is June 30th, 2010. It is a Wednesday. And uh, today we are going to have episode 466, and we are going to talk about the Fall Garden. Yes, I said the Fall Garden, and you're thinking, whoa, wait a minute, dude. Um, it's about to be the 4th of July. Right, Fourth of July is Sunday. Side note, real quick: Fourth of July Sunday. That means that we are taking a long weekend and going to the bug out location. And Monday there will not be a survival podcast. I'm taking a day off. You'll have to listen to a previous episode if you uh, if you're around and want to hear one. But there's 460 some odd episodes for you to pick from. So hopefully you'll find one. But anyway, you know it's about to be the Fourth of July. It's been 100 degrees more days than it's not. In June here in Texas, and the hottest part of the year is ahead of us. The hottest part of the year is typically, you know, mid July to mid August. That's what they call the dog days of summer. And here, this clown wants to talk about fall gardening. Well, I have a lot of reasons for that. Uh, number one, I consider the start of fall to be September first. I know it's September twenty-first. I know it's still warm, but as a gardener, as a gardener. There's some changes that happen about that time that start to make it really fall gardening season, even if it's not officially fall according to the calendar. And some other reasons that I think now is a good time. The big one is that September 1st and the kids going back to school and that last Labor Day weekend of summer and all that stuff might seem very far away right now. The cool autumn days, going out in the woods and hunting deer and squirrels and rabbits and birds, and standing out in the dove field may seem far away, but I'm telling you, it will be here like that. For many of you, the kids just got out of school either in late May or early June, and June just went, and it's gone. So, given that we've rounded off one of the months for the summer vacation already, and we're one of one-third through it like that, I thought it would be a good idea to start looking ahead at something. And planning for something so that it doesn't come up on us like that, and then we're not ready, and we can't maximize the opportunity that presents. Because when I'm done today, you'll realize what an opportunity fall gardening really is for you. It's probably, in most of the country, I know some of you guys live way up north, where you're going to have like one month of summer, and it's going to be freezing by September. Uh, and for those of you, uh, you know, you got to figure your way around some of these things. But for most of the country, the best gardening of the year is from about September 1st, uh, through October 31st and continuing on into Thanksgiving for a lot of parts of the country if you plant the right stuff and do the right things. But then we're getting into some winter gardening concepts uh, that we'll talk about later in the year. But I think you'll enjoy today's show, and I think it'll maybe give you some anticipation to what's coming instead of seeing uh, the end of summer as the end of that beautiful garden you finally started putting in and started to feed your family with. All right, before that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our housekeeping. Housekeeping item number one today. Let's take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today is Safe Castle 
uh, Royal. If you want the best in prepping items, check out Safe Castle. They've got everything that you need, including an amazing assortment of 12-volt uh, products for your solar planning, uh, great assortments of uh, uh, different long-term storage food items. And, uh, you know, I, I talk about that website, uh, their, you know, their primary website a lot. One thing I don't mention about Safe Castle is they also build some of the best hardened shelters you'll find anywhere in the world. And uh, I'll put a link in today's show notes so you can take a look at the other side of their business uh, because it's pretty cool, the type of structures they build. Next up today, Sawtooth Tactical, or as I like to call them, Sawtooth Tactical because they have all the, the cool tactical stuff that guys like me and guys probably like you or for the ladies, some of you ladies yourselves or guys like your husbands uh, like to play with and, and, and you know like to get involved with and, and all the really good stuff like Maxpedition bags and Magpaul magazines and accessories and all the stuff that is in that tactical realm that many of us are attracted to. So check out Sawtooth Tactical and when you do purchase something from the Mention the Survival Podcast and uh, they usually throw a little extra goodie or two in there for you if you'll mention that. All right, um, I also want to remind you about our gear shop, and uh, we have some really cool stuff there. I think we should be starting to ship uh, the coffee mugs. I'll check with Sis Wolf today and let you guys know tomorrow what the status on the, the uh, pre-ordered coffee mugs are. And uh, I'm going to make sure we have a, a reasonable inventory of those things going forward so that no one will have to wait again. All of you that ordered early and are waiting three, four weeks to get your mug that helped us out, we really appreciate you. That's why we sold them for about 20% less uh, than they're going to actually sell for in the store. All right. Um, I also wanted to remind you guys that tomorrow and Friday, tomorrow and Friday both, I'm giving away seed packs from High Mowing Organic Seeds. Next week we'll be giving away soil cubes. You need to go to High Mowing Organic Seeds website now. You need to bookmark it now, today. Because tomorrow and Friday, I'm going to get on and say, go to High Mowing site, go to their About Us page. And I'm not, this is not what I'm going to do, just to give you an example here, though. Go to the second paragraph, and the third word is the code word. So you need to be prepared to go there now. And we're going to give away two packs of seeds on Thursday, that's tomorrow, and three packs on Friday. And these are not little seed packs, folks. There's a video you can look at on that. This is like $47 worth of awesome seed variety. Uh, so uh, definitely, and a lot of them are things you can plant for the fall garden. Next up, uh, I want to remind you to consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Do that, you get exclusive content available only to members and a bunch of discounts. Just from what I mentioned today, Safe Castle uh, Royal has a discount membership club. $29, you pay that one time, you get big discounts on just about everything they sell for the rest of your life. You join the MSB, you get that for free. There's $29 of your $50 bucks back instantly. Um, also, High Mowing Organic, anything you order from them, free shipping. Which is actually a lot better of a deal than maybe, let's say, a 10% discount, depending on what you order, especially on smaller orders or big bulky items. It's really a great benefit they threw in there. Those are just two things that are available to MSB members. So consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You'll be supporting this show at 20 cents an episode. Um, so with that, let's go ahead and start talking about you know the main topic today. And kind of what I was saying earlier is, you may be thinking, what the hell's wrong with this guy? You know? Well, what is this guy doing talking about fall gardens um, in, in July? Well, you're going to have, in a lot of the country, about 60 days of great growing from September 1 
through October 31. So September and October. For places like Texas, with a little bit of frost protection, you're going into like maybe November 15th or later with crops that are not even frost tolerant. So, you know, we're talking maybe a second round of cucumbers. We're talking maybe a second round of tomatoes. If you get a fast-growing variety, if, and this is only if, you start preparing for that now. If you're going to start your own seeds. Think about it this way. If the time for you to plant uh, tomatoes in your area, if your last spring frost date is March 15th, then when are you planting tomato seeds? Right? Like January 15th. If it's April 1st is a good time for you to plant tomatoes, you know, then you're, you're probably planting, uh, what, March, February 1st, right? You're planting about eight weeks before you're going to put the plant in the ground. Well, if you're going to be putting a second round of plants in the ground around September 1st, or if it is something like a tomato or, or something like that, maybe you're going to be putting it in the ground in, in August, you know, August 21st or something like that, then now's the time to be starting seeds. Absolutely, now's the time to be starting seeds because we got the same window of time. Now, for a lot of people starting tomato seeds right now, not worth your time. Absolutely not worth your time. You're not going to get any production. But if you have, if you live in the South, you know, early blight, not a problem, right? Just not, I mean, one of the biggest things. Folsom wilt really rages in the middle of the summer. A lot of the diseases that affect tomatoes are most persistent in spring and summer. And if you can, you know, plant them in containers and shelter them from some of the heat and shelter them from any contamination and then put them out in, you know, very early fall, end of summer, you get a brand new production crop. Another thing to think about is if you plant them in some type of containers, like I've got tomatoes now growing in a topsy-turvy thing, uh, when you get that first frost, you know, a lot of times in a lot of places, you'll get a frost, and it'll kill everything. But you know what else happens? The next day, it's not a frost anymore. And two or three weeks go by of beautiful weather with no frost. So if you had some of your plants in containers, and you brought them in one or two days during that three-week period, you extend your growing season right through that period. So even those of you that live where trying to get that second crop of tomatoes done, uh, or maybe some other types of crops like peppers or something like that, uh, don't think you have the time. You can if you get a bit creative. That's just one thing. But uh, another thing I think you need to think about is the fact that right now there's a lot of seeds that if you take them out and plant them in your garden, in the soil that's got the sun beating down on it, even with a good mulch, um, you will get no germination or very low or very poor germination. I stuck a... Th now, in the last couple of days, we've actually got something called rain. I say something called rain because I almost forgot what it looked like because I went like 60 days with no rain. I had cracks four inches wide in the, the bottom of my yard from drought. Uh, but up until then... Uh, we had 100 degree days. I put the thermometer in the soil, an inch deep in the soil. And the soil temperature was 105 degrees, an inch deep, under the mulch. Now, seeds don't germinate well at 105 degrees. So there are a lot of things right now that will even grow good in this heat, but you'll get poor germination with. 
So you might look at now as a time for planting late summer crops that will carry into fall as well. Some of the things you might look at are beans. A lot of beans will do very well in this heat, but they will not germinate well. They just won't. It's The soil's too hot. Now, some of you live in places where it's beautiful to plant beans in the soil right now. If so, that's fine. I'm telling you, though, if you live in the deep south and you planted your beans and, like, two of them came up and they didn't do very well, that's why. There's also another little creature that's going rabid in the south right now, and that's the cutworm. What is the cutworm? He's one of the vile little creatures of the planet. And what the cutworm does is when your little seedling comes up, he just cuts it right off of the ground. If you ever had a seedling, it was there, and then the next day it was just gone. And maybe it was just kind of lopped over and sitting there. It looked like somebody came by and cut it with a knife. And you said, what the hell is that? That's a cutworm. So how do you get past the cutworm? Once that plant's maybe a few inches tall, he won't bother it anymore. So now's the time that maybe you take a traditional direct sow plant like beans and plant them in containers uh, or soil cubes or something like that, get them up to a couple inches high, and then plant them into the ground to get past the cutworms and grow that, that late summer into fall bean crop. There's also a lot of beans out there that will grow in this heat fairly decently, kind of slow, and they'll, they'll stagger along, but they'll be putting down that deep root system, and they'll, you know, this is a great time to get them going in that container uh, arrangement, you know, the, the transplant container arrangement, and get them ready for transplant into your garden, let's say in August. When you transplant them, you know, and they've got about a month of growth on them already, mulch the hell out of them. I'm talking like four inches of mulch. Keep those roots cool. Coax them through August. They have a huge root system down by then. Nitrogen nodules going like mad. And that cool wind of September kicks in, and they go into production much faster than normal. And there's certain beans that, you know, I love to grow that I can't grow at any other time of the year. I love Scarlet Runner, Scarlet Emperors. I think they are the best beans in the world. But here's what happens with them. By the time it gets warm enough in Texas for the, to plant them, they grow like mad. But by the time they get big enough to produce, it's 95, 100 degrees. 9,500 degrees, beautiful for rattlesnake snap beans, Kentucky pole. I mean, those beans do beautiful in the heat. Runner beans, not so much. They like temperatures in the 70s and 80s. That's heaven to them. Upper 80s, they start to wane in production. You get to 90 degrees plus, you get one or two beans, and the blossoms start falling off. So this is the optimal time for me to get those runner beans going, get them up into a productive level so that when those cooler temperatures of September kick in, they're all ready to go and I maximize my production. And a pole bean, unlike a, a bush bean, once it starts producing, will just keep producing right to the frost. So there's another example of, it's not that it's a frost-tolerant winter crop, it's that my geographic region makes it impossible for me to have, and I want you to, again, I know some of you are in different parts of the country, all this stuff applies, it just applies to different things. You have to start getting creative and start beating kind of the system uh, that that's out there that can uh, that can beat you down if you don't think creatively and beyond you know the instructions on the back of the seed packet that always basically say plant in the springs x days after you know your your last frost or as soon as the soil can be worked or whatever. There's other times of the year to be planting, 
And I'm saying that now's the time to start looking at some of that. So one of the big things that you really need to do to adjust and tweak these things that I'm giving you today to your own environment is to find out what your average first frost date is. This is like spring in reverse, all right? In the spring, we're getting ready to start our crops and get ready to plant them when the frost goes away. So we want to find out our average last frost date so that we can be ready to plant maybe a week or two weeks after that with some of our tender crops or right up front with, it's like cars are trying to run me over there from the other computer or something. Anyway, you want to know when the right time to plant is based on getting out into the garden after the danger of frost. Well, now we want to know and we want to look at, well, how long does it take this plant to produce? If it's 90 days, right, this is another way to look at it. It's 90 days, and your average first frost date is October 1st. you got to plant right now, and you're going to get production for like two seconds. So that's not going to work. You should have actually gotten that plant going earlier. Right? If your average um, last fr- first frost date is around November 1st, and you've got a 90-day to production um, uh, deal, you got July, August, September, you got all of October. And with some frost protection, maybe you can go forward from there even a little bit. So you've got a good window. Now, does that mean that if your average first frost date is October 1st, you're screwed? No. What it means is that you need to plant things that are either frost tolerant, and we can go through that first part of winter and get them ready now, or start getting them ready soon. Some things that are fast growing, you may not plant until, let's say, you may start the plants in August and put them out in September because they take only 60 days to go to full maturity. Um, so, and maybe if, if there's spinach, well, then you can just run them right through into winter, right? So you adjust these things, but it all revolves around the average first frost date because you may be looking, can I do something creative? For instance, right now I am growing summer or uh, winter squash seedlings and I will keep them in container pots growing and get them as big and strong and, 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 and in as great a shape as I can until about August 1st. And I have a long enough growing season, I should get some production off of them uh, right in around October. And eventually frost will come get me and kill my vines, but I should get very strong, healthy, growing squash right through that fall because we have a long growing season. Why am I doing that? Because the evil squash vine borers will not be laying eggs by the time we get to August 1st. Okay, So that's why I'm doing it. Here's another thing. I'm not doing this, but I could be. Uh, yellow squash, zucchini squash, summer squashes, 60 days to production. Which means if you started the seeds today and grew a nice big healthy plant, a lo- rather large container, and protected it with netting right through most of July, put that plant out into your garden around August 1st, that plant can handle the heat no problem. Squash vine borers are pretty much done. Now if you live in a place where you don't have a big problem with them, just plant it right now. It's a beautiful time to plant squash. All over the country. But if you live in a place like I do where squash vine borers are like the bane of existence and, and they're like doing their thing right now and eventually they even got my trombone zucchinis, folks. With everything that I did to try to prevent them, I got great production, but eventually they got it. Because what they do is they lay an egg and out of that egg comes a tiny little worm, so small you can barely see them, smaller than half a grain of rice. He cuts a little hole in the stem. He crawls into the vine of your squash, and he starts munching, and he grows to be a great big fat worm about as big as the tip of your little finger. And he absolutely hollows out the vine. And, of course, if there's no nothing inside the vine, it can't feed the plant anymore, and the whole plant dies. 
And a lot of people that think that their squash got uh, some form of blight, it's not blight, it's squash vine borers. But you can beat the window by starting the plants when they're at their height, when they're out there right now, they're out there doing their thing right now, but protecting them and then putting them into the garden around August 1, many parts of the country put them into the ground around July 15th, and they're done. You need to find out. And here's a great way to determine if squash vine borers are active in your area. Get a yellow bowl, fill it with water, and sit it out in your garden. Squash vine borer moths, they look almost like a wasp. They're kind of a pretty bug, really, are attracted to yellow. If you leave it out there for a couple days, and you don't find any squash vine borers floating dead in that water, they're pretty much done with their activity for the year as far as breeding and laying eggs. The worms that are in existence are already doing something somewhere. They're not going to be waiting for you to plant. They need to be. They need to have those eggs laid on the plant so they can go right in. So once you get to a point where you're not finding them dead floating in that water anymore, then you're safe to plant for the rest of the year. Now you might have to deal with the typical squash bugs, but they're far less deadly to the plant. So these are all little tricks and tips you can adapt again to your area. Let's talk about some frost-tolerant crops that are really uh, good things to be putting in the ground around September. So uh, some of them are you know, longer-term startup propositions, and, and you might want to start them right away. Some you won't need to start until August, maybe 30 days of being started in a container before they go out in the garden. But these are all plants that I'm going to give you now that not only will grow great in that fall part of the season, but when the first frost comes, they'll laugh at it, and they'll just keep going. And they'll get bigger and better and sweeter. Now, some of them, yes, when we get heavy freeze, when we get heavy snow, it will kill them. Some of them will make it through snow. Uh, many of them will make it through snow if you give them some level of protection. But everything I'm about to give you, and I'm going to give you a big, long laundry list of plants here, will go right through that first frost for you and allow you, if you plant all of this stuff, to be serving a fresh salad in most of the country on Thanksgiving. So that's what we're working for. So what, and a lot, again, a lot of these things you're going to think, man, this stuff's not in my garden right now because it's too hot. And if you plant it, even if it grows, you try, let's use lettuce as an example. You plant lettuce right now, and in much of the country with the heat, it grows and it starts to look beautiful. All of a sudden, it just goes nuts, and this big, you know, seed heads come shooting up out of it before it's anywhere near mature, and it just doesn't grow well. Now, if you live in somewhere like Maine, it's a beautiful time to grow lettuce, but if you live in, you know, Virginia South, except for certain varieties, it's tough to grow lettuce right now. And even if you pull it off, it doesn't have the same crisp, cool sweet character that it does in the fall, winter, and spring. It just doesn't because it's not a warm weather crop. So a lot of these are like that. Some of them you can do, they're like, you know, multi-purpose uh, wonders. Like Swiss chard is one of those. It'll grow any time of the year. All right, but let's go through some of them. One is cress. And, and I, I just lump cress together. I mean, I grow Persian broadleaf cress. I grow uh, wrinkled, uh, wrinkled cress. And I grow several different varieties of cress. Cress is, um, you know, like land cress or garden cress, similar to water cress, but you don't need to go through all the crap you do to grow water cress to grow these varieties of cress. It has this peppery, spicy flavor to it. And I guess I'd throw arugula, even though it's not a cress, in there with it because I didn't put it on my list. And arugula is another great crop to be planting in September and harvesting for your salads going through the fall. So cress, again, that bite, peppery, uh, nice addition, and it just doesn't do well in the heat. Just doesn't. Next up, 
the wonder the wonder plant spinach Popeye's favorite thing right spinach will not grow in the heat it won't you can't grow it right now but around August 15 you can throw some spinach seeds in some little pots and about two to two and a half weeks later you'll have nice healthy little spinach plants and it'll be a great time of the year in much of the country to put them out there and you can keep doing that you can do kind of secession planting with your spinach. Every two weeks, start some more seeds and let those plants grow nice and big and healthy. Whack them right off. Some will grow back, some won't. One of the issues that you have when you get into frost tolerance is that spinach, for instance, if I get a nice six-inch spinach plant, maybe six to eight inches high, good, healthy, young seedling, and I put that out and there's some frost and it's cool and the days are shorter, it grows just fine. If I put it out there when it's tiny, it just doesn't really get going good for me once it starts to get really cold. So you need to get these plants kind of a jump start so that they're ready to deal with this cold weather. So they're not trying to do their major growth cycle all in the cold. You get them kind of you know booster shot along the way. Uh, next up, lettuces. I won't say much about that because I already talked about it, but lettuces... Beautiful time to start lettuces is August. Uh, they grow fast 60 days, so you know you can basically grow them for two or three weeks toward the end of August and get them out there. Again, you can also kind of stagger your secession uh, into the fall, so you're putting new plants in the ground all the way into like October. Uh, and then maybe even in November, depending on where you live, I put lettuce plants in the ground in December this year. And they did be, I put lettuce plants, I never stopped until it got too hot. I put lettuce plants in the ground in January. I did a YouTube video for you guys where I took my lettuce plants and I threw a old fish tank on top of them. And I had two groups of lettuce and the ones with the fish tank in January in the snow. In, we had 11 inches of snow this year in Texas. 11 inches. And I don't mean over several days. I mean in one snowfall, 11 inches. Not only did all the lettuce survive, but the stuff under the greenhouse thrived. Big, beautiful lettuce. So that can be done all the way through, and it'll handle it. And some lettuce varieties even better uh, than spinach with a little bit of help. Radishes. Um, I'm not big on radishes because I'm not a real fan of their taste and their flavor profile. Don't really like them. But planting them in September, 28 days later, you have a crop. If you plant a few radishes every week, you can have radish crops right through the winter. And radishes will handle the cold like very few other plants will. You have to get really cold to even stump the growth of a radish. You plant it right now. If you can get it to germinate, it probably won't germinate. You'll have to, you, you know, you, trans, you really can't transplant radishes. Well, it's, to me, it's not worth it. Again, I don't like them though. So if you do, maybe you think it is. But it's too daggone hot. 100 degree soil and radish seeds don't mix. And if you did get it to germinate, what's going to happen is you're going to get rapid growth, flowers, and going to seed. And very poor tuber formation. Radishes need that cooler temperature. So good time to look at planting radishes. Um, garlic and onions, planting those in September is a very traditional thing to do. Especially after garden space has been freed up with some of the summer crops coming to fruition. Uh, especially like the old cornfield, you know, you cut down your corn or whatever. You've got all that open space now because you've harvested it. Good time to do uh, radishes and garlic. I, uh, garlic and onions. I personally think you should have garlic and onion a little bit interplanted through your entire garden at all times. It has such a good effect on repelling pests. The only thing you want to do with garlic and onion, folks, and this includes garlic chives, onion chives, anything in that family, leeks, keep them the hell away from your beans and your peas. Um, 
they don't play nice together and usually retards the growth of beans and peas. So other than uh, beans and peas, your garlic and onion should be planted all over the place. But that big crop of onion and garlic, good time to plant in September. Uh, you might be waiting a year a year to harvest the garlic uh, in a lot of places. But onions, you're going to be looking at harvesting onions right through the winter and into spring. So great time to do that. Uh, another one to look at is peas. Peas can't handle the heat. Can't grow them right now. Just can't do it. Now, I know some of you live where you can. I'm telling you in the south, it's all but impossible. They, it's just too hot. But uh, planting in, in like uh, mid-August to early September, if you, you know, as soon as the soil's cool enough that they'll germinate for you, I don't really like to start peas in containers. Uh, you need too many plants to get reasonable production. Uh, but if, if you'll start them as soon as the soil's cool enough to get a reasonable germination rate, they'll handle going right into that, that cool weather of fall. The big thing with peas is you want to make sure before they start getting hit by any frost, that they're at least 50% through their primary growth cycle. I won't say how high because some peas grow six feet high and some peas grow three feet high. They will handle frost. They generally don't handle a heavy freeze. So you need to really look at your dates with peas for the fall. You need to get them going as early as you possibly can to give them primary growth during that cycle, but they're a great fall crop. Carrots, again, carrots are another thing. Man, trying to germinate a carrot in the summer soil is all but impossible. Transplantation, all but impossible. But if you plant those carrots toward the end of fall, so start, you know, so what do you do? Because I'm talking about getting ready for it. Well, you start planting the space. Look at the crops you have today that by September or you know, mid-September are going to be done. You're going to be completely harvested, cut down to the ground, and out of the way and plan where these car your carrots, onions, and things like that that just go straight in the ground at that time are going to go. Um, another one to look at, great time to actually start planting uh, seeds, if you're going to start your own seeds for it, is broccoli. I've had broccoli plants with ice on it, like from ice storms where there's like a quarter inch of ice encrusting the entire plant, lost some leaves, sun came out, ice melted off, plant kept growing, and some of the best damn broccoli I've ever produced. You want your broccoli plants started for about eight weeks before you put them in the ground. Guess what that means? If you want to put them in the ground on September 1st, now's the time to start them. You have to think about this, though. Either you need indoor grow lights to keep the temperatures down, or you need to get your seeds germinated inside and then move them outside, keep them in filtered shade, mottled shade, uh, maybe under some shade netting, and keep them in a cooler area where they get enough sun to grow, but the heat is mitigated for them. You might even need to do things like take them in and bring them back out you know, daily. So you might only have them outside in, 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 uh, in, in good lighting for maybe four to six hours a day during that period, and you slowly harden them to accept the uh, sunlight. Up to you how you work that out, but I'm telling you, now's the time to start your broccoli in the south uh, for that fall crop. That'll be the best broccoli you'll ever grow. The problem with spring broccoli in, in, in places like Texas and Florida is we go from cold to warm so fast during that time of the year, that just as the broccoli is getting ready to mature, the heat comes and it starts flowering before it's really ready to harvest. And those little cabbage flies, they're just that's like their favorite time of year. So you have to deal with cabbage flies a great deal eating your broccoli uh, plants. 
You plant them in the fall and the winter, they have nowhere near that level of pressure, and you get a much longer period of time with that cool weather that broccoli likes. Uh, cabbage, great plant for the fall. Move these a little quicker now, uh, so we don't make the whole show just a list. Um, another great plant to be putting in the ground around September, if you start it now, is calendula. Calendula being uh, pot marigold, the flower. It's a beautiful flower, edible flower, beautiful medicinal, hates the heat. Just doesn't do well in the middle of the summer. So that's another one to maybe start or find a nursery that you're going to be able to get them. And that's the other thing. You don't have to start all this stuff. You just need to find the nurseries that are going to have this stuff for you at the right time of year to plant if you don't want to start your own. Um, I, I also Swiss chard. Swiss chard is, is, to me, it's one of the plants that belongs in every garden because it's so foolproof. I've had problems getting it to germinate in the heat, and I've had problems getting it to germinate when it's too cold. The solution is started in... Um, in a you know a container started in a uh, you know a starter pot and get a, about five or six leaves of good growth on it and then put it in the ground. Once it establishes, it's it's a member of the beet family and it's a member of kind of a long rooted beet family. It puts down a tap root. It's like a straight, almost like a white carrot looking root to it, and that root will go down six, seven. I've seen them eight, nine inches long, depending on the soil, and it'll penetrate fairly tough soil. It's a good penetrating, and once that happens, it's got this huge area to pull from and a way to cool itself with water. It basically acts as a, as a water pump. That's what any green plant does. That root pumps water up from the soil into the leaves, and that gives it uh, a tremendous ability to cool itself. I'll, I've seen it when it gets too hot, it looks dead. The leaves just fall to the ground, and then you come back out about 8.30 at night, and it's just happy again. And once it really gets that root down, you stop seeing that wilt being so excessive in the summer. You give it a little bit of shade in the summer. Once you get into fall with that stuff, though, not only does it keep growing right through the frost, it starts to taste better. A lot of the bitterness comes out of it as it gets cooler. In fact, one of the things that I've been really fond of doing is right around um, August uh, 30th, somewhere toward the end of August, I go to my char my Swiss chard plants and I cut almost every only one or two leaves, the smallest new growth, and I let them start over with brand new growth, and they do beautifully uh, at that point. As long as you can still give them a little bit of protection from the sun here, and a lot of the country you don't even need to worry about it at that point. So Swiss chard, another great one, and you know it's it's cousin the beet, sugar beets um, and uh, beets for beet greens. Just don't, again, don't do well in the summer. You try to grow beet seeds in the soil when it's 100 degrees, it ain't going to happen, it ain't going to germinate. But they handle frost no problem. So as soon as the soil temperature drops into the 80s, uh, mid-80s, low-80s, plant those beet seeds. Uh, you could probably, if the soil, this is the soil temperature under mulch. And a lot of people have a real fear, how do I plant my seeds under mulch? Will they be able to get through the mulch? If they can get through the dirt, They can get through the mulch. Now, really small, weak seedlings like lettuce and all, that's why I'm a big fan of starting the plants. But beets, beans, anything that's kind of a tough plant, you can have an inch of mulch over it. It'll push its way right through there. The other thing you can do is just pull back the mulch right where the seed is. right? So mulch right up to it so you've got a little, looks like a big, uh, you know, like a marble-sized dent in your mulch. So it's very lightly covered with mulch right where the seed is. As soon as that seedling starts to grow, just start backfilling around it. And by the time you get the mulch leveled off, and that seedling's maybe two inches above the mulch, and it's got an inch in the mulch, it's got a good root system down, it's well established, it'll actually put some rooting into the mulch most likely, uh, and you'll have a, a really good, well-started plant. So those are, like, you know, think about that. Well, you can be growing 
in the fall that you can take right through and up to Thanksgiving. Cress, spinach, lettuce, radish, garlic, onions, peas, carrots, broccoli, cabbage, calendula, Swiss chard, and beets. That's a lot. That's a lot of things that you can grow, and many of you cannot grow them right now. Um, I already talked about the squash vine borers and uh, kind of beating them, and I had that in my notes for now, so I'll let that one go. But just understand that that's not the only thing like that out there. There's plenty of things that the, the you know the pests, so to speak, whether they be biological or or animal in nature. So whether it's uh, a squash vine borer or it's blight for tomatoes have their height at what we consider the optimum growing time for these plants because they coincide, because they parasite off of the plant itself. So if you can plant that plant out of sync with its natural predator and provide it protection or whatever it needs to get by during that time, it often doesn't have to worry about being pressured. Again, broccoli, spring crop, really heavy time for the cabbage flies, Late fall, broccoli does beautiful, far less cabbage flies out there, far less active, far less pressure, they grow better. So, again, I can't give you for your area exactly what, but what I'm telling you is there's always loopholes. You have to be creative and connect the dots and see how to make them work uh, for you. The next thing I, I want you to think about is maybe not just growing food through the fall. Maybe if you have a big garden like me, I have, what is it, seven, eight beds? Some of your beds don't really need to be producing through the winter, and you probably need to rotate which beds those are so that your beds get rested and so that you can build up organic matter in them. So you're not always taking, sometimes you're giving back. So just like a farmer might plant you know, winter peas and vetch for a winter cover crop, maybe it's time for you to pick a couple of your beds this year to seed heavily with a winter cover mix. And let that cover crop grow and, and, and till it into the soil in the spring and, you know, build up that organic matter and do that with maybe two, if you have a big garden, maybe two beds each fall and then rotate them so that every maybe three or four years, every bed is producing a cover crop and producing some of its own organic matter and more nitrogen from the, you know, vetch and winter pea are going to both produce nitrogen for you. And uh, sometimes you maybe need to be doing a cover crop that's nitrogen intensive, some that's going to grow more organic matter, more mass to be tilled into the soil. Uh, but there's a lot of great mixes out there. High mowing has quite a few of them that you can do both with. My point is that cover crops are not just for farmers. They're for small gardeners too. In fact, it's a lot easier for us because we can just go out there with a bag of a good cover mix and you know a couple of pounds of that will probably last a, good, a gardener for several years. Good inoculant on it if, or if it's got a legume on it to so help with that uh, nitri nitrogen producing uh, activity and just you know sprinkle the bed and there's so much value in that and it's the way nature works if you think about it if you go into a big field and there's a lot of wild edibles there's a lot of non edible plants as well and each year they don't grow until somebody cuts them down they grow until they die and when they die they go down to the soil and they become a mat of twisted tangle gnarl and then the winter comes and then the moisture comes on them and they become very humid and very moist and their pressure builds up and they begin natural composting and they become soil and they become part of the soil and the roots in the plants that were left behind rot out And they create pathways in the soil. And a lot of the nutrients from the breakdown of the matter go down into those, those carbon pathways. That's what they are. That's what Bill Molliston calls them, fast carbon pathways. So a root becomes, when it rots out, a highway system into the soil 
for nutrients and moisture and, and organic matter to get down in the soil. As a gardener, when you create the same environment, you have the ability to actually turn that organic matter into your soil. Or maybe if your soil level's dropped a little bit, to come in after you've chopped it, and just put down a one-inch layer of compost on top of it. And if you do that in early spring, by the time you're ready to plant, after that winter crop has done its thing and has nursed your soil through the winter and protected it instead of leaving it exposed, and now it's been turned in and now it's broken down, what a beautiful thing to plant in. So it's time to think about where you're going to use cover crops. Maybe go ahead and order those, the seed for that cover crop so that you're prepared to do it this year. And some of you guys have you know, one bed, and you're thinking, I don't want to cover crop my bed, and you probably don't. If you have two, I'm going to propose to you, cover crop one and alternate them. And once you get more than that, you might even think of running some cover crops during the, the summer. You might do some buckwheat or, or some uh, other summer uh, summer field peas or something like that once in a while. Just just to maintain your soil. I think what people don't realize when they start thinking about fertilizing and feeding plants, we do not feed plants. I'll say that again. We do not feed our plants. Not if we're smart. If we're smart, we feed the soil. The soil is the life. And if we feed the soil, the soil nurtures the plants. When we bypass the soil, we degrade its value over time. Modern agriculture takes the most fertile land in the world and turns it into a sterile sponge. That is not sustainable, and that is not how to run your backyard. You run your backyard the way I'm describing here. You get production through 80 to 90% of the year instead of 50% of the year. And you get some of the most amazing variety and diversity that you can imagine that makes the produce section at the grocery store look like a joke. When you start to realize how much diversity you can stack and do a few four foot by four foot or four foot by eight foot beds in your backyard. If you take care of the soil. And here's the beautiful thing. And I've had some people challenge me because, well, nitrogen's nitrogen. Oh, yeah. Well, chemical fertilizers degrade the quality of soil. I'm sorry. That's the way that it is. My gardens have gotten better every year. They require less inputs every year because they become self-sustaining. So that's what I'm talking about here with cover crops. Um, it's also maybe a time for you to start thinking about, is it time to build that greenhouse? You know, Because if you build that greenhouse, now you can really extend the season, and this might be a good time to do it. The kids are out of school, you need a project, uh, the weather is a lot nicer than trying to do it in the fall when it's really windy and starting to get cold, and you feel more pressure to get it done. One thing I'm going to suggest, though, with your greenhouses, do not build a greenhouse to be just a greenhouse. Build a greenhouse with some level of ability to open your windows, moderate the heat flow, and look at maybe some type of a modular approach. I'm trying to figure this out for myself where I can basically build some shade panels that could just be bolted onto the outside of the greenhouse that can, and, and maybe up on the roof uh, that can create shade. Because it would be great right now to be able to start all these winter crops in a filtered shade environment. So now you could do that with just stringing up shade netting, but that takes space as well. So if you build your greenhouse to be multi-purpose, to be well-ventilated and shaded in summer, and wide open and solar uh, solar collecting in late fall, winter, early spring, now you've got something you can use all year instead of just when it's cold outside. So good time to think about that if you have not already started building that. You, some of you, you're going to think I'm crazy, some of you can start tomato seeds. Some of you that are in the deep south 
This is a great time to go and grow some tomato seeds. Look at tomatoes that are going to do well in cooler environments. Uh, the stuff that comes out of Russia, Siberia, uh, black crim uh, tomatoes, which I grew early this year. Uh, I'm done with them now. They, they, you know, they can't handle the heat and the, you know, the blight got them eventually. But got great production through the spring with black crim tomatoes. No reason you can't do that in the fall. With tomatoes, though, for the fall, unless you're really set up for seed starting with a you know, shaded area or something like that, and I don't just mean a, sh a tree shade, I mean like shade nets or something like that, like, a, like your own little mini nursery, you're probably better off talking to uh, the nurseries around you and saying, I'm going to be interested in doing fall tomatoes this year. When do you get the tomatoes in for that? And if they tell you we don't, You're probably too far north to do it. In the south, you'll find most places, whether they're small mom and pond nursery stores or box shops, you know, like the Walmarts, the Home Depots, the Lowe's, get a, 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 a variety of tomatoes in, and I don't mean one variety, I mean a, an assortment of tomatoes in right about the end of summer that are for that fall planting. And you can generally do very well. And again, this is a good plant if you really want to maximize what you can do to plant those in containers that can be moved indoors for frost protection, for at least maybe the first or second, maybe even third frost. Uh, a lot of times, like I said, you can get a month with just protecting your plants by bringing them in two or three times. And a month in that time of year where it's optimal growing conditions, still long sunny days, still warm days, cool nights, the plants know the end is near so they go into a heavier production level because they need to get their, their, their seed out into the biosphere for the next year. It kind of triggers that when they get into that fall mode. And you get some of your best production from peppers and tomatoes right up into fall. So by being able to bring them in, peppers are another thing that you might want to think about, putting those peppers in some pots. Um, I got some seeds from, from, from trading seeds on Johnny Max's Seed Exchange this year for fish peppers. And I've always wanted to grow fish peppers. And it was kind of late in the year to start pepper seeds. Well, I started them, and I got them growing beautifully, and there's a couple in the garden. We'll see how they do. But I have two big pots, with each with four fish pepper plants in them. I'll be able to bring those in when it's cold. If I do a few things creatively, I may be able to wean those all the way through to next spring, because, folks, peppers are actually a perennial. The only reason we grow peppers as annuals in the United States is because when it freezes, they die. You can take pepper plants... Prune them back to about 50% of their size when they're kind of done with that last production for the fall. Bring them inside. Keep them warm. Give them sun. Give them water. Coax them through the, the, uh, the winter. And as soon as there's no danger of frost, you put them back up. They start growing like crazy. And they'll produce better the second year than the first year. So maybe it's time to look at potting up some peppers uh, for the fall and for the winter. The next thing is uh, I want you to also think about what you're going to do with all the production you're going to get from the summer now. Uh, it is time for you to get ready to start dehydrating and canning, start doing some of that now. What I don't like to see people do is like collect up a tremendous amount of tomatoes and do like a full day's worth of canning. Uh, or a full day's worth. And canning, I guess, is really more to do that way. So my grandmother always did it. Uh, she would try to like get as much together. So Because canning is an involved process. It's, it's energy-intensive. It's labor-intensive. But with dehydration, it's pretty easy to chop up four tomatoes or some peas or some carrots or whatever you're going to do, or squash, whatever you're going to dehydrate, throw it on a tray, turn the dehydrator on. 
and each day do a little bit and put them in jars or like I do in the, in the food grade paint cans or into even Ziploc bags, O2 absorbers. Start planning for what to do with all the surplus you're going to have at the end of summer if you have a large operation going now. Uh, it is time to do that. And, and that kind of wraps up what I wanted to talk about today. I want you to just start maybe changing the way that you look at your gardening and changing the way you look at everything with your prepping. It's time that we stop locking ourselves into like a temporal box, so to speak, where, you know, obviously it's summer right now. I got to just make sure that I get my crops through uh, to the end of summer, make sure they're well watered. I'll get some good production in between. But, you know, that, that you know, harvest season's coming up and that's when I'll get my production. And then it's off to the deer woods uh, for hunting or, or whatever you do in your fall period of time. And the garden goes away and the garden doesn't have to go away. And there's a lot of other things that we do that work out the same way. Fishing is another example. I remember when I was a kid, man, you know, September came along and it was dove season and October was small game and deer season and we didn't even think about fishing again until the spring. And, you know, later I learned it was probably one of the best times to be fishing uh, was that fall season with fall turnover in the lakes and the way that the rivers kind of changed their, their environment in that fall period of time. And, you know, next thing you know, you're sitting in February and it's too cold to fish, but it's not cold enough to ice fish. And you're sure wishing you would have taken more example of it, uh, more advantage of it. So there's a lot of things like that. And it, it just requires us to realize something. Every day there's a clock. It's tick, 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 tick. And time either works for us or against us. We do not have a choice. There's no such thing as a neutral action of time. You age. And no matter what somebody selling some you know magic product somewhere tells you, you're not going to stop, reverse, or even really slow that down. You can take care of yourself so that you age the way we're supposed to, But you don't actually slow down aging. All you do with aging is when you don't take care of yourself, you speed it up. There's no such thing as slowing aging. And I know some of you are typing, you're going on your computer right now, and you're telling me about some guy that lived to be 106 in, in Tibet, and you know because he ate a certain diet, and he walked, he didn't slow aging. He aged at the normal rate. It's all the things that we do now that accelerate that. With our prepping, time is ticking by. Tick, 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 tick. You're either saving money or staying in debt. You're either acquiring a little bit of extra food every day or you're not. You're either increasing your self-sufficiency or you're sliding away from self-sufficiency. Tick, 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 tick. That's why I talked about fall gardening today. Because it seems a world away And it's 60 days. And 60 days will go, bam. It'll be gone. You'll be having that Labor Day barbecue. The kids will be going back to school, either the you know grade school or maybe starting high school or off to college. For those of you that are, you know, new couples with new babies, you know, they won't be going off to school, but maybe you'll be sending them to that head start or a nursery school or something. Some of them will be going to kindergarten for the first time. You'll have to deal with that, and that's a that's an interesting first experience, especially for moms. And it'll come like that. And those of you that are expecting, congratulations, I've heard from a few people expecting, um, you think kindergarten is a long way off. And it's going to be like that. 
And some of us, we look at our future and we say, well, we could be in for some really bad times in the next five years, and five years is going to go like that. So there's always a deeper lesson to this show, as long as I do my job right, and I think I've done it right today. That 60 days that's going to go like that, that's just a metaphor. That's the ant and the grasshopper. That's the fable, even though it's true. Because the ants really do prepare for winter, and the grasshoppers really do die and freeze in the cold. And the winter gardening and the fall gardening really does come, and it either gets taken advantage of or it doesn't. But it's a bigger picture, folks. Because winter is coming. Sooner or later, winter always comes. And it doesn't just come as one of the four seasons. Winter enters our lives. People get sick. People die. Careers are lost. Nations fall. There's. I try to stay upbeat with you on this show. I try to stay motivational. But once in a while we have to look at reality. Not everything's always going to be hunky-dory. If they were, this would be called, be called the Positive Impact Life Show. Right? And I do, I guess, maybe get into the world of motivational speaking. Even sometimes cross over into the reality that there is something called the Law of Attraction. And you're either practicing it consciously or unconsciously, but one way or another, you are attracting things into your life, and they can be positive or negative. But this isn't, hey, this is Tony Robbins. Just send me $99.95 and you'll... No. This is a stark reality that shitty things happen in this world. Whether it's that beautiful plant gets killed by the frost as a natural turn of events, or you get a letter from your boss that says you're fired... And whatever's going to happen is coming. And it's up to us to choose to be prepared or to not be prepared for them. Somebody sent me an email yesterday. And it said, reason for prepping. That's interesting. I'll open it up. And what he said is he works for a very large company now. And they have a readiness disaster plan. How they're going to keep the comp company functioning and solvent if there's a major catastrophe, uh, whether it's a weather-based event or a flu or anything like that. They have that. And he worked for a bigger company before, and they had a plan like that. And you know when the government screws something up, like during Hurricane Katrina, and they didn't have a plan in place, what did everybody do? We all sat around and said, we should have had a plan. We need to have plans. If we think companies and government should have plans... Do you think they really care about you as much as you do? You need to have a plan. And as that time ticks away, you're either getting closer to having a plan ready to go, or you're not. And when winter comes, you're either going to be as close as you can be to that snug, warm little colony of ants, or a freezing, dying, miserable grasshopper. And just like the fable, and unlike reality, the grasshopper has no idea about these things. The grasshopper's a little insect. He can't think. The ant can't think. They're both hardwired to act the way that they do. You don't have that luxury. You're a human being. And what'll happen if you ever face winter unprepared, and again, I mean winter of life, unprepared, you'll realize how easy it would have been to be prepared. And the regret is the one thing you do not want to have. And the good news is, because you can think, Because you can listen to a show like this, because you can think ahead, because you can plan for the future. It never has to be that way. Human beings are the most powerful form of life that we know of in the universe. I'm not saying we're the most powerful life form in the universe. We're the most powerful life form we know of. 
We can do things that no other creature that we know of can. When the ant prepares, it doesn't prepare with forethought. It prepares because it's wired by creation to do so. Human beings are the only creature that make the choice. The beauty of it is, that choice is yours. It can be made. And 99% of what's going to come your way, because I'm not going to lie to you, if you get in the car tomorrow and you drive down the road and a runaway 10-wheeler full of gravel smacks into your car, it's lights out. But that's the 1%. That's the one you can't prevent. The other 99%, you can stand right up to the storm and you can walk right through it if you'll just accept the fact that time takes on and it's up to us how we prepare as that time takes on. Get ready for fall with your garden because fall is coming. Get ready for tough times in life because tough times are coming. And remember, keep on living that better life. It's time to get tough or even if they don't. Let me show you a better way You don't have to be another face in the crowd You don't have to live the way they tell you to Make your own way The others will follow Nobody else.